This is Nick Hyam from nisagayoga.com, where you will find information about non-dual therapy and mentoring. We'll publish a new episode of the Non-Duality podcast soon. In the meantime, here's Peter Brown with an introduction to the yoga of radiant presence. Those of you that haven't met me, my name's Peter, and I'll do a, a, a very brief uh, little talk and then we can chat or hang out or whatever we feel. Okay. If that's all right. <laughs> so what this is, what's going on here, is not what you think it is. which wouldn't be a problem, except that typically we think it is. Typically we think we have some kind of a handle on what's going on here. We think we have some kind of a handle on what this is, what we are, how it all works, how we fit into it, how to engage in life, all these kinds of things. But it happens that what this is cannot be what you think it is because it's impossible for human thought to grasp what this is. <clears throat> and this simple fact, this simple misunderstanding, the fact that we typically don't know what this is and think we do, is the entirety of the spiritual problem, the entirety of spiritual difficulty, spiritual confusion, and of course indicates the, paves the way for the spiritual solution, which is to realize, A, that this is not what you think it is, and then B, to engage with it as it actually is, which is beyond thought. It cannot be thought. You cannot get a handle on what this is. With any kind of conceptualization, it cannot be done. But fortunately, it doesn't need to be done because you are non-conceptual, you are not a concept. You actually exist, you are not a product of your thoughts or your ideas, you are an intrinsically existent being, and that being is completely transrational, doesn't make any sense, it's indescribable, doesn't conform to any human notions or any human philosophies, it is exactly what it is. And it is one with what this is, so since you are what this is, you can engage with it on a one-to-one -one basis in terms of how it actually is, which will be non-conceptual. In fact, of course, we're all doing this all the time. But the confusion sets in is that we don't realize this. We typically may find ourselves constrained to a greater or lesser degree with grappling, by grappling with our life with our existence in terms of what we think it is. And this generates unending confusion because there's an absolute disjunction, absolute mismatch between any idea you can have of this and what it actually is. So when you try to approach this in terms of your ideas, no matter how sophisticated, you're, it's, gonna, it's not going to work ultimately. It's going to prove to be a big mess. And this, and this basically gives us the human situation as, as we can find it. <laughs> anyway, by looking around. 
So, our situation is somewhat like a dream in the sense that in a dream, typically, you'll find yourself in a world that's more or less seems to be more or less consistent or coherent. It seems to actually be there in some sense. You seem to actually be in it in some sense. There seems to be various event, circumstance happening to some degree that you get interested in or caught up in or have some kind of kind of meaningful interaction within it. And but if you take the dream on the, in the, on that level in those terms, you'll be completely misunderstanding your situation because. Of course, the other half of the dream is the fact that you're asleep. And the dream is a fantasy that is happening in your consciousness. But if you're unaware of that, if you're just in the dream taking it on face value, taking it as if, as superficially as if it was just what it seemed to be, just this, this existent world that you existed within and some strange situations going on, you would be completely misunderstanding what's actually happening. And this is exactly analogous to our situation here. We find ourselves here, apparently, in this world, um, you know, which we have engaged with. There's all sorts of meaningfulness to one degree or another, and there's certain urgency, certain importances, self-preservation, you know, um, achieving goals, winning friends and influencing people, you know, <laughs> making money, having a lot of sex, you know, whatever our personal inclination pulls us toward but again like a dream if we don't understand the context that this exists in we'll completely be missing what's actually going on or another another good example is like a movie if you were watching a movie completely absorbed in the movie and you're just in the movie you know things seem to be a certain way this, you know, the plot seems to be going on the characters seem to be doing what they're doing there seems to be a certain amount of urgency and importance around what's going on and so on and so forth but then if you relax and look around you you notice wait a minute I'm sitting in a room with a bunch of other people looking at this screen that has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with the apparent plot line that seems to be going on in the movie it's a whole different context and in fact the movie isn't even there the movie is a flat display of light that's being projected from a room up over your head which has <laughs> absolutely nothing to do with the apparent plot of the movie that's going on and likewise we find ourselves in a similar situation here this world that you experience as your experience this body that you experience as your body all your sensoria or your thoughts all of these are phenomena that are um, completely dependent upon let's call it a whole other system that, which is what you actually are and very much in the same sense that a dream is a phenomenon that's wholly dependent upon a whole another system which is the system of the dreaming consciousness which, which is one it's intrinsically one with what is appearing but is entirely separate from it and independent from it and likewise this apparent environment that you seem to exist in, in this body you seem to exist in, in this circumstances that you seem to be um, involved in to a greater or lesser degree are all <coughs> dependent upon 
another system that is largely invisible, largely unacknowledged, largely ignored, completely accessible. It's not something that is not available to us. It's not something that's not accessible to us, but we typically discredit it because we, it doesn't seem to be very interesting. Just like when you're sitting in the movie theater, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a dark, boring room with not a lot going on, so of course you pay attention to the screen. But when, you, when you're dreaming, your sleep is just kind of a, a blob, whatever, blank, black space with subtle, very subtle energy presence or whatever, which doesn't seem particularly interesting. So of course you get interested in the dream. It's a lot more going on. It's more things are popping, things are exciting, things are interesting. Whereas when you look at sleep, it's, you know, on the surface of it, it's a lot less demonstrative. It's a lot less absorbing. And yet, it is the true event. It is the context within which dreams actually exist, within which dreams make sense. It's the basis for dreams. Without, without a sleeping consciousness, there would be no dream. And the sleeping consciousness is not dependent upon the dream, but the dream is entirely dependent upon the sleeping consciousness. Likewise, in this circumstance, this bubble of experience that you inhabit that seems to be a world, seems to be a body, seems to be all sorts of phenomenon, entities, and interaction, is dependent upon what you actually are, but what you actually are is not at all dependent upon it. <clears throat> this fact is readily discoverable by simply noticing, simply discovering what you actually are. Well, how do you do that? So, you, so uh, here's, here's a dreaming, here's a person in a dream saying, and, and someone walks up to them and says, you're not really here, this is a dream. And, and, and what do you say? You say, what? You know, what are you talking about? A dream? What's that mean? I'm here, this is a world. You know, I'm talking to you, right? So how do you, from a dream, how do you investigate sleep? It doesn't seem to be particularly accessible. It seems to be very different. And yet, of course, a, a dream is completely interpenetrated by sleep. A dream is made of sleep. Uh, you know, sleep is not distant from a dream. Sleep is where the dream is happening. So sleep is completely present, even, even as there is all this dream present. And likewise, what you really are is completely present right here, even though there's all of this display present, um, which is not entirely what you are. It, it, in a certain sense, it is what you are, in the same sense that a dream is what you are. The dream, when you dream at night, the dream is made of you. So the dream is not other than you. So it's not like the dream is not you. And yet, you are not limited by the apparent circumstances that present themselves as the dream. You are the sleeping consciousness. You are that which can generate any dream. So you are much more than the dream, and yet the dream is you. But it's a version of you. It's a limited, partial display of you, let's, let's call it, say, um, that you are not limited to, that you are not trapped within, um, that you are not dependent upon. You can, you can have horrible things happen to you in a dream, and the dreaming consciousness is fine. You, know, you can get tortured and murdered in a dream, and the dreaming consciousness is fine. It doesn't get hurt. You, know, you can have wild success and exquisite you know, um, you know, ecstatic experiences in the dream, and the dreaming consciousness is just there sleeping away. 
So the dreaming consciousness doesn't gain or lose anything by what happens in the dream. It's independent of it. It's not vulnerable to it. It's not dependent upon the circumstances that seem to present themselves in the dream. And in this situation, exactly the same arrangement prevails. What you actually are is not dependent upon what seems to be happening. It's not dependent upon these circumstances that are here. And yet what, actually, what you actually are is right here. It is, um, it shows up as what we call consciousness, what we call awareness. It shows up as all of these subtle energy phenomena that we typically discount, you know, subtle vibes, subtle moods, subtle sort of flavors that waft in the background of our consciousness that we don't have words for, we don't have any name for these things. Um, and yet all of these things that we typically discredit as just sort of background noise in our experience are profound indicators of what we actually are. And by paying attention to, by noticing this aspect, the sort of background quality of our experience, we can gain very direct access to what we actually are. And, and if we're fortunate, we can stumble onto the actual perspective and come to see very directly, wow, you know, I'm not in this. This is in me. This world is in me. These people are in me. This body is in me. I'm not in this body. And we can discover these, these facts very, very directly simply by paying attention to the full range of what is present in our experience. Indeterminacy. What is it? Um, so suppose uh, you're suppose you're in a spaceship 500 miles over Earth, or, you know, geosync orbit over Africa, and you look down at Africa, and someone points out that that's Africa, this account, and you look at it, and you get, okay, I know what Africa is. You know, you look at it, you see the shape of it, you see, the, you know, sort of shades of green and brown and whatever, you know, and you look at it and you go, okay, that's Africa, I get it, that's Africa. So then, you go down and you're flying, you know, a mile above Africa, flying around the continent, and you go, wow, there's a whole lot here that I didn't really notice before, Africa's a lot more than I thought it was. And then you go down and you get in a Land Rover, and you start driving around Africa from town to town and, you know, road to road, and you go, Jesus Christ, there's so much here. You know, I thought I knew what Africa was. I looked at it, and there was just this shape, and that was Africa. But now look at all this incredible stuff. When does it end? And then you get out your magnifying glass, and you get on your hands and knees, and you go from one end, from one coast to the other of Africa. And by that time, of course, you're stark raving loony, and you died hundreds of years ago. But... Assuming the miraculous, you, you, are, you are very, very impressed with the extent of what Africa is. And, uh, you know, we won't go into the electron microscope and, uh, and the atom smasher and so on and so forth. But you get this principle of, you know, what prevents noticing infinity, what prevents noticing indeterminacy is this principle of, oh, I've got enough information, now I know what it is. It's rounding off. So you're with any phenomena in your experience, and you, and you, 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 you have absorbed a, a, an arbitrary amount of what it seems to be presenting, and then you close the door. You say, okay, now I know what it is. 
and you close the door and you draw a picture of it and name it, and that's this, and you bang, you've got it, you've got it down, you know what that is. Until, of course, you look closer and you notice, gosh, you know, there's a lot more here. So this this essential principle of moreness is absolutely inherent in experience itself. Anything whatsoever that can appear in experience is literally infinite in terms of getting a handle on what it actually is. Um, so, but of course we're all very familiar with this principle of, of doing this. We do it quite spontaneously and automatically. Oh, you know, I know what a light is, and I know what a computer is. Because you sort of, oh, I've got enough information, I sort of know what it is, and then I stop looking. And at that point, a limitedness sets in, an inertness sets in. You know, it's, it's this dull, lifeless thing that's a computer and it's, you know, sitting here and it, it's pretty much the same next time I look at it as it was last time I looked at it as it is now. And so it's all sort of compartmentalized and collapsed down into certainty, into stability. And yet experientially, I could never experience this computer the same way twice. Absolutely impossible. It's, this computer is absolutely endless. It's endless in the moment. It's endless from moment to moment. It's endless in any way. Um, <clears throat> this is discovering this, noticing this principle and experience is really the dividing line between living in, being stuck in an imaginary world which is limited, limiting, which will generate a sense of suffering, generate a sense of frustration, generate a sense of, of boringness, of lifelessness, all these sorts of qualities. And, no, in, and on the contrary, noticing this open-endedness opens the door to endless you know, spontaneity, vitality, uh, excitement, uh, 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 stimulation, meaningfulness, complete unlimitedness, i.e. unstuckness, you know, the, the possibility of stuckness in this context is, is not doesn't compute. It's absolute gibberish. It's like, yeah, how can something be stuck? What's going to be impeding it? What's going to be holding it back? What's going to be blocking it? When everything is infinitely open-ended. Um, so now this the important point. Another important point is this is not an abstract principle. This is a concrete principle of experience itself. It's in operation always in experience. Uh, you know, in real time, right now, right here, uh, anything you're experiencing is infinitely open-ended. And it's quite possible to notice this phenomenon. And when you do, the, your experience and the, and the world you seem to inhabit and your, you yourself and so on and so forth reveal themselves as, 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 as astoundingly different than you've always taken into them. Um, so this is a very powerful and exceedingly powerful principle. And again, it's not an abstraction. We're talking something that's extremely concrete. This is an aspect of experiencing itself, which is never not the case. It's always how it is. Um, this is the reason I called my website uh, The Open Doorway, because experience itself, the door is never closed. Anything that seems to present it, an experience is always a, a, a doorway to moreness, and and you you are with anything in the experience, and there's more, and and there's another door. There's more, there's more forever, 
there's no bottom, there's no, you can't get to the bottom of anything, you can't get to the final, finite experience of anything. It cannot be done. And this principle is very powerful. It's extremely powerful in terms of revealing what this is, what you are, and in the process, of course, getting you completely unstuck from your confusion about what this is not that you may have a tendency to hold. I'd like to introduce a, a technical term at this point. Um, anytime you take anything to be something, in other words, you close the door on it, you, you take it as, you know, typically unconsciously, you do this very automatically, you take something to be something and, oh, that's what it is. In other words, you're not letting yourself notice directly and in real time the open-endedness, the essential open-endedness of it. Um, the technical term for that phenomenon is bullshit. <laughs> this is what bullshit means. So we get lost in bullshit when we take anything to be something. Because you can't find what anything is because it's all absolutely bottomless. It's all absolutely infinitely open-ended. There's no limit to, to the richness of experience that is presented in any aspect of experience. This applies, of course, on every level, sensory, thought, subtle vibes, whatever. And it's irrespective of scale. You know, a tiny flash of light is exactly as infinite and contains exactly as much unending, open-ended information as the continent of Africa does. We're in a very fortunate situation because we only have one problem. <laughs> it's only possible to have one problem. And the reason we're fortunate is because we also have the solution to that one problem. The only problem we can have is misunderstanding what this is, misunderstanding what's going on here, misunderstanding what you are, what your world is, what your life consists of. <clears throat> All problems that people can think they have boils down to this one basic problem of misunderstanding what this is, misunderstanding what you are. <coughs> and fortunately, um, this already is what it is. So we can discover what it is. We can, we can correct our erroneous interpretations and our misunderstandings of what we think this is by looking at what this is and discovering what it actually is, which turns out to be the answer to all of our problems, i.e. there's basically this one problem of misinterpretation. <clears throat> this mis misinterpretation takes the form of a worldview. It takes the form of a, uh, a whole conceptual gestalt which consists of what you think you are, what you think the world is, what you think is happening, what you think your history is, what you think is in, you know, where you think you're going, where you think you've been, what you think all the elements that make up your life in the world are, all of that 
that entire huge worldview exists only in your imagination. It's the only place it exists. <clears throat> but fortunately, your experience is real. Your experience is of reality, always. It, or, it already is, it always has been, and always will be. All we need to do is look at what our experience is and discover that it does not support what we've taken it to be. It does not support our erroneous worldview. It does not support our interpretation of what we are and of what this world is. Now, it's easy to see that we do look at this all the time, and yet we find it effortlessly easy to maintain our worldviews. <laughs> so, so what's the trick? You know, what's the angle? How, how'd you do it? <clears throat> Part of the difficulty is that the nature of what this is is very subtle. It is somewhat elusive, and. Part of, an as part of the aspect of the nature of what it is is that it can easily appear to be in accordance with your expectations of what you expect to see. In other words, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you think life is a certain way, it's easy to see it as a certain way. You know, you wake up in a bad mood and you think, boy, life is just this horrible thing and you can go out and you find this, this pathetic life we're living and people are being cruel to each other and people are cutting you off in traffic and you, you know, you can't get what you want and, I mean, it's just, you know, it's easy to see. On the other hand, you wake up in a good mood and it's easy to see all the things that are right with, with your life and all the things that are right with your world. And very simplistically, <coughs> the same principle applies much more subtly in terms of what we think things are, in terms of what we think we are, what we think our life is. You know, um, for one reason or another, we have found ourselves with a worldview that's been, you know, we've been programmed into it by society, by our parents, by, you know, the accidents of our experience and all of this. So, for one reason or another, here we are where we think we know what things are, we think we know what we are, we think we know what life consists of, to one extent or another. <clears throat> now, our great advantage is that this worldview exists only in our imagination, and we can access our direct experience, and ultimately all of our direct experience, but explicitly vast portions of our direct experience are outside of that worldview. And this is our great opportunity. So, if you can, you can look at something in your life that you already have a strong, maybe unconscious opinion of it, you already think you know what it is, and that's going to be challenging because you're going to tend to see what you expect to see. You're going to tend to see it the way you have been seeing it, more or less. But there are areas in our life where we don't have ideas what, what they are. There's areas in our life where we're, we're very neutral or very wide open as to exactly what's going on and we don't have a strong feeling about it or opinion about it or, or even, even a, a clue as to what it actually is. And yet, these experiences are present in your experience. So... These are the areas that, uh, that I recommend are the most fruitful to 
explore and to play with. You can go to these kinds of neutral, relatively ephemeral portions of your experience and relax with them and be with them and let them show you what they are and you'll be tending to see them as they actually are outside the context of what you hold them to be. And then as you get a knack for this, as you acquire a subtlety and a skill at experiencing this kind of openness and this kind of undefined quality, this skill will translate over into the areas in your life where you are used to holding things to be a certain way, holding yourself to be a certain way. And ultimately you'll be able to discover that nothing is the way you have how to be. Nothing is the way you have thought it to be. And so your reactions to the way you think things are deflate. They they, they, they become ephemeral. They turn out to be to be to have no steam, no juice, no importance. And then we find ourselves in this field of openness, of just open being spontaneously doing itself that reality actually consists of, life actually consists of. We find ourselves here in this current situation. We always have. There's no operator's manual. There's no set of directions. There's no... um, little placard that says what to do in case of fire and um, of course we've all been told a lot about what's going on here our parents told us a lot society told us a lot our schools have told us a lot religions tell us a lot science tells us a lot all of these these different um, authorities are explaining to us what's going on here. But most of it doesn't hold water. Most of it is not very convincing or thorough and doesn't really seem to be comprehensive in terms of what our actual situation is. In spiritual traditions, of course, um, we're told a lot. There's all sorts of different spiritual advice that defines our situation in various ways. You know, as a human being, some traditions say, you're fundamentally flawed. So your spiritual recourse is to fix yourself, repair yourself, you know, self-improvement or, or get rid of your afflictive emotions or get rid of your habitual patterns or all of these various things which are somehow garbage in the system and need to be rooted out, need to be uprooted and gotten rid of before we can somehow find ourselves in some condition of wholeness or some condition of, of fulfill- fulfillment. In fact, most spirituality is pretty much, in modern, modern terms, is pretty much synonymous with self-improvement in one form or another. Improve the way you think, improve your emotions, improve your relationships, open your heart, love people more, find peace, all of these various things which are no doubt laudable and um, possibly a, a 
significant improvement for many of us. But does it really solve the problem? Does it really answer the question of what's going on here? What is this? What fundamentally is happening? What is this about? Well, we're in luck because we have this here openly and nakedly on display to examine, to look into, to inquire as to what exactly it is. And the only thing that can gum up the works, that can prevent us from looking and seeing what it is, letting it show us what it is, is our preconceptions of what we already think it is. We already think we know what it is. We think we know what's going on here. I think I know who I am. I think I know what my life's about. I think I know what my history is. I think I know what my goals are. I think I know what my problems are, right? All this stuff. But how accurate is it? How true is it? Do I really know what I am? Do I really know anything about this astounding condition, this astounding situation we find ourselves in? But this situation is as it is. It already is as it is. It's here. Light is shining. You know, gravity is, is holding, is, is holding, pulling everything together. Consciousness is perceiving. The machine is functioning. The machine is whirring away. It's all happening. This is what it happens to look like at the moment. You, you, you're aware, in some sense, of being conscious, right? You're being aware of perceiving. In some way, that, that's, that sort of seems intuitively obvious, right? What is it? We can look at it, look at it and see what is it. Well, it's very mysterious, isn't it? I mean, you look at it and the first thing you notice is, whoa, where is it? You know, it's so obvious, it's so obviously right here. But then you, you, you try and find it, try and lay your hands on it, try and define it in any sense, and it reveals itself as very, very strange. Is that a problem? Does that mean... Is the strangeness an issue? Maybe strangeness is what it is. Wouldn't that be interesting? And so, wow, this world includes this fundamental strangeness, this fundamental weirdness inherently, which is always right here, completely obvious. What is it that's appearing in consciousness? Again, it... it, it it's self-evident that there's apparition, but again, when you look for it and try and find it, it becomes very strange because experience has some very peculiar properties. It's constantly morphing. It won't hold still. You look at something and it just keeps unfolding and changing and morphing and and spinning off into other versions, other associations, other aspects of itself. And so we think, yeah, but there's something there that's solid and not changing. It's just my experience of it is changing somehow because I'm fuzzy-headed. <laughs> Was that true? What's the evidence? Maybe fuzziness is what we have here. When we're in deep sleep, what do we have? You know, Fuzziness is not too bad a description of what the object actually consists of. When we're in dreaming, what do we have? Well, 
you know, I don't know if fuzziness is necessarily just the right adjective, but it's pretty weird, whatever it is. It's, you know, it's obviously present, right? There's, there's experience present when we dream, isn't there? You know, self-evident. Well, there's, the dream's there, right? But what is it that's there? How is it there? It's very weird, isn't it? It's very strange. It, 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 it's ghostly. It moves in and out. It's ambiguous. It can be many things at the same time. And we don't even second guess it when we're dreaming. We take it for granted. Yeah, of course. This is, you know, this is my world, not my life. I'm in it. I'm engaged in it. And then we wake up or we go lucid and we go, wow, I was dreaming. Isn't that amazing? But when you're dreaming, you don't know you're dreaming. You're just completely gullible. It's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, this is happening. I'm here. I'm doing, you know, I'm engaged. I'm living my life. You know, I'm just, I'm flying. Yeah, I'm running away from the monsters. Cool. You know, it's got to be done. Someone's got to do it. And here we are in this situation. And of course, we all take it for granted. This is normalcy, right? You know, we all had dinner, and now we're at a spiritual talk. And after a while, we'll go home and watch some TV or read a book or, you know, pick a fight with our partner or whatever it is we do. And it's all normal, right? It's all perfectly normal. It's just. But what is it that's actually appearing? How is it appearing? What way is it appearing? What's it appearing to? How is it appearing in consciousness? What is this consciousness that is so weird when we look at it? And what is this that's appearing that we take for granted and seem so normal? And if you look at this, how it appears, it reveals itself as pretty weird too. Constantly morphing, constantly shifting, unfindable. You can't find the final version of anything. A flavor, what does it taste like? So you take a bite of a cookie or something. And, oh, it's, it's obviously got a flavor. You taste it and go, oh, yeah, mm, tastes good. Mm. But what exactly does it taste like? What exactly? So you go to the taste and it's, you know, yeah, it's... Yeah. And you take another bite and it tastes very much the same, but kind of different too and, and every experience is constantly different constantly subtly unique or maybe not so subtly unique has anyone here ever experienced exactly the same thing twice can't be done you've never what you're seeing in your field of vision now you have never seen before not one tiny pixel of it it's never happened and now it's already different. It's changed. You're seeing something different, you know, and and it's gone forever now. That instant a moment ago, never going to happen again. You're never going to see what you just saw then. You're never going to think what you were thinking then. You're never going to feel the way you're feeling. Now. <coughs> I mean, oh yeah, it's normal. Of course, it's you know, it's experience, it's life. <laughs> If we can approach, if you can approach your experience open-endedly without expectation, without preconceptions, let go of your notions and your beliefs and your ideas about what it is and what's happening, and experience your experience as it actually is in the instant, 
see what it is that is here what here is what now is which is doable because here it is right here it is we can look at this we can examine this we can be with this and let it show us what it is what it will show you that it is is very surprising it's very strange it's very peculiar with reference to typical human notions about what it is and you are this most intimately most specifically you're here this is real this consciousness that's experiencing this moment is you this energy pattern this evanescent energy pattern which is constantly fluctuating through your consciousness is you what is it there is a power there is a force there is a profound motive that is in operation here that is in action here that is doing all this <clears throat> there are many names for this throughout history and in different traditions the will of god the flow of prana um <clears throat> the big bang next to george lucas we have the force <laughs> um In Kashmir Shaivism we have Spanda, the primal urge, the primal divine creative force that is inherent in Shakti. <clears throat> Now all these sound very grand and wonderful, <clears throat> but the, the important point, the interesting point, is that what all of these terms refer to is most intimate. It is happening Right here, it is what is doing your every action. It is doing everything in your experience. It is doing the world. It is doing your thoughts. It is doing your metabolism. It is doing your evolution. It is doing your life. It will do your death. It is doing all of this spontaneously and inherently. My favorite term for this is one that I coined or stole from somebody, I don't know which, which is, I call it the inherent intelligence. There is an intelligence, a, a functional structurality, a structural functionality, that's better, <laughs> that is actually built into everything, that, is, that everything is made of. It's, it's what constitutes the laws of physics, it's why atoms work the way they do so perfectly, why chemistry works, why Uh, metabolism works, why DNA works, why consciousness works, why experience works, why astrophysics works, why the stars and the galaxies behave as they do. This astounding, inconceivable functionality. And this is not an abstract principle. It is absolutely right here, right now, completely present, completely accessible. In fact, you can't possibly not access it. You can't possibly turn it off. 
But noticing this puts a different slant on things, discovering that in actual fact, we are not responsible. We are not doing our lives. Our lives are being done. Another word for this is the life force. This is a nice sort of a um, secular term that kind of kind of a squishy term, but it's it's apropos. It, it really it, it it talks about what this actually is. This this life force that is responsible for your being, for your for your health, for your the fact that you're here now. Everything, everything, and this force is it's like the it's like the backbone of the universe. It's like the the central column, the central. Um, array of reality itself, and it is profoundly creative and profoundly effective. <clears throat> and it is all actions, all events, all experiences are imbued with this creativity, with this profound and integral functionality. There, so in this, this is the sense in which there are no accidents. Everything that happens is a direct outgrowth of this ongoing functionality of this uh, incredible system that you consist of. <clears throat> in terms of spirituality, discovering and noticing and tuning into this force is of the essence, discovering that there is this primal intelligence, this primal meaningfulness, this primal purity that is behind everything and that, and not behind everything in some abstract sense or some grandiose metaphysical sense, but behind everything right here, right here. And this force, this Shakti is absolutely sacred, absolutely primal, absolutely integral to the very, very core of being, the very core of things. And when we notice this, we notice that our life is profoundly meaningful, profoundly integral to the very fabric of reality. And our you know, so-called spiritual unfoldment or spiritual development is one with this primal creativity, this primal expansion of the meaningfulness of reality itself. <clears throat> when we notice the objective pole of our experience, notice the objects and the way experience shows up, this amazing radiant presence that shows up, the, the, the energy, the light that shows up as our dreams, as our thoughts, as our experience of the so-called objective world, this amazing presence that spontaneously appears all of this presence is a direct revelation of this primal force, of this primal radiance that is doing all things and is behind all things and is actually embedded in and, and embodied by all things. So we have immediate access to this, we have immediate experience of this in this very presence, in this very experience that you are experiencing right now this is the primal force, this is the divine force, the divine purity manifesting itself um, as your experience. What spirituality is, is often widely uh, 
uh, misunderstood these days. <clears throat> Spirituality is often confused with self-improvement, with establishing psychological health, with solving emotional problems. Um, it's sort of approached as the ultimate therapy or in any way in the hope in the hope of finding the ultimate therapy <clears throat> but this is not what spirituality actually is <clears throat> true spirituality is about discovering what this is what's going on here um, and not changing it in any way not improving it just discovering what it is, and it turns out that that discovery, what it is, we also discover what we are, we discover what's happening here, how it happens, and this is the ultimate answer to all and any questions. And it, it so happens that it brings relief, it brings um, fulfillment, it brings well, I could say some very grandiose things. It brings uh, knowledge of eternal being, the knowledge of the non-existence of space and time, the knowledge of your identity with the absolute. All of which sounds very grandiose, but it happens to be the simple fact, and it is discoverable. <clears throat> now, since what is happening here is happening here, it seems that it ought to be fairly easy, you'd think, to notice that, to discover what this is. <clears throat> but there is uh, an incredible amount of misinformation floating around in various archaic religions and philosophies and human interpretations about what's going on that are passed on pretty mindlessly from one person to another. As human beings, we're hampered largely by two factors. <clears throat> Number one, we're lazy. We don't want to bother to have to reinvent the wheel. <clears throat> so if, if, you know, it's much easier to go out like a smorgasbord and pick a convenient spiritual philosophy that's out there than, than invent your own from scratch or discover your own from scratch. And the other limiting factor is we're tribal. We have a very profound inherent inclination to imitate each other. So if you're in a group of people and they all seem to be more or less behaving and adhering to a certain way of approaching things, you're going to probably feel a strong unconscious inclination to mimic them, to do the same thing they're doing. And these two factors um, are major contributors to this almost universal misunderstanding of the simple event that's going on here. <clears throat> but of course the good news is that it is possible to discover what this is. It is possible to discover what you are. And the place to look is right here. It's, it's nakedly revealed. It's plain to see what it is. And the main hampering influence is our preconceptions, usually held unconsciously, so they aren't particularly accessible, that we think we already know what this is. We already think we know what's going on. We already think we know what we are. 
and as a result, we we don't really get off our butts to move very far from those established certainties as we hold them to be. Could you pull the level down on this mic a bit? <clears throat> <clears throat> But if we can be with this outside of the context, let go of our preconceptions a little bit, if we can be with this outside of the context of those preconceptions, of those expectations, of the you know, assured statements of philosophies and religions as to what's going on here, and can just nakedly investigate this, we can discover what this is, because it's not hidden. <clears throat> it happens that what this is cannot be put into human concepts. It cannot be accurately addressed in words. So uh, this is another big confusing factor in terms of trying to interpret all these philosophies and religions and spiritual paths because there is a 100% inaccuracy. Anything that anyone has ever said about reality is untrue. So this, of course, is a, uh, is a major uh, confusing factor in trying to read the scriptures or read, the, you know, read into uh, philosophies and spiritual paths and expect them to accurately be telling it like it is. <clears throat> But if we can be with this without preconceptions, non-verbally, very directly, just be with this experience and let it show us what it is, we will discover what it is, we will discover what we are, and we will discover what's going on here. And that very, very simple fact is the great goal of spirituality. This is reali spiritual realization, this is enlightenment, this is liberation. This simple fact of just seeing this as it is and not piling it with extra imaginary interpretations, just that simple event is the great goal, the great reward, the great achievement in all of the spiritual traditions. <clears throat> When we look at this, what do we notice? Well, there seems to be some kind of a consciousness, a power of perception. Experience, experience is experienced. So there's, this is interesting. So what, what is that? How does this happen? And experience is shows up as some something experienced there's some display of qualities there's some display of of something that experience consists of so what is that how where does that come from what's it made of <clears throat> how does it appear how does it disappear how is it perceived where is it perceived where does it exist when does it exist? These very, very fundamental questions turn out to be extremely profound. And we can look at them very directly because 
It's happening right here. Right now, your experience is showing up. Right, right now, your experience is appearing. How is that happening? Just look at it. How is it appearing? You know, your field of vision is full of all of this character. How is it appearing? You know, how is it changing? How is it unstable? How does it disappear? How do past character? How do past configurations of appearance? How are they gone forever, completely? You know, where have they gone to? Where do they come from? How do they come? I mean, all these questions obviously don't have a literal simplistic answer, and certainly don't have a verbal or conceptual answer, but they're a good jumping off point to look at this, to investigate what is actually happening here. What is this event? How is it happening? Is it what I've been told it is? Is it what people think it is? What is time? Time is right here. This is time, right? This is now. You can't find time anywhere other than here, so this is a good place to look at it. What is time? Well, you know, can you find the present? Can you find the past? Can you find the future? How do they work? How does the, what's the relationship between the supposed past and the supposed present? What's the relationship between the present and the future? Right here, not as an abstract concepts or as thoughts or as you know, philosophies, but just looking at the actual event. How, how is time happening here? in your experience, how is it happening? All these sorts of questions. And again, you're not going to get a simplistic verbal answer. You're not going to look at it and say, ah, oh, I see what it is, time is blah, 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 period. And yet, this question prompts an investigation, prompts a looking, prompts a being with this astounding phenomena and Simply by that action, it may show you what it is. Um, we have a remote microphone we use if you'd like to um, have a discussion. Um, we don't really need uh, microphones and speakers in this little gathering, but there are people online perhaps listening, following along, and that way they'll be able to hear what you have to say. So if you would like to talk about anything, if you'll just put your hand up, then the mic will be passed to you. Is it on? <clears throat> Is it on? So, <clears throat> Peter, I had a question about, um, well, well no, noticing, I mean, it, it, it seems like it's, it's sort of like peeling an, an onion. Uh, like, let's say I, just a minute ago, I, I was <clears throat> thinking about quiet or how quiet it seemed today. Mm -hmm. And that <clears throat> started with the concept and then, um, then after a while, I mean, it's so part of noticing is just not, is, 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 is peeling away identification or, you know, your preconception mm -hmm. of, of the concept. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then things get really murky. I mean, um, and so, I mean, if I peel the onion away enough, um, there's just, it's, 
there's something, but I, I couldn't, uh, well, I mean, there's something. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because, it, well, well it, if I peel it away enough, I mean, this, the something is just vast and large. Yes. But let's say, just say, just trying to get, get rid of the concept of non-activity or quiet, and then just sort of focusing on that as... Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. Typically... You know, not, not, not identifying with it, but just seeing what it is. Yeah. Typically in this inquiry, we start, we start off with a fairly simple question or approach or something we think we're looking at, and the mind will supply answers or, or points of investigation that it thinks are appropriate. But then as we are with our experience, these, these expectations of what we're looking at or what we hope to find reveal themselves as hopelessly inadequate, hopelessly simplistic. And we discover our experience is subtle, our experience is, is um, am, uh, ambiguous. It is indeterminate. It is, it is um, not of a character that resolves itself clearly into this or that. And this is very interesting, that it, it, it actually is like that. It's findably like that. When you look for anything, you don't, it doesn't converge on a simple condition and, oh, now I got it. I looked for it and I found it. Right. You look for it and you find what there is to find, but what you find is a whole category of something, of event, of being, that is, that has very interesting properties. It has these properties of indeterminacy and unresolvability and, you know, paradoxical quality, uh, which, again, make, make our initial pre presumptions as we look, as we start this inquiry, laughable. Um, but this is not a failure of investigation. On the contrary, this is a success in investigation because we discovered that what this is has very, very interesting inherent properties. It does not, it tends to be divergent. It doesn't tend to be convergent. If it was convergent, if you looked for something, the closer, the more you looked, the closer you would get on what it is. And the nature of reality is that as you look at it, the closer you look, the more it seems to spread out and smear and, and, alternative aspects of it present itself, which is very interesting. And at first, you know, when we're approaching this naively, more naively, we think of this as, oh, a failure, I'm not looking right, I'm getting distracted, I'm getting confused. But as we develop more experience and more sophistication, more subtlety in this, in this inquiry, in this noticing, we discover that, no, this is, this is actually what it is, this is what it's like. Very interesting, this is a whole a whole different kettle of fish. It's a whole different character of event than I expected at all. And then we find this amazing, well, we can't say, but it's something, it's not nothing. Right. That, that's, it's not that's, nothing. That's the sense that I, that I get. That, yeah. That, well, just by, just by the fact of noticing, it's sort of like jumping into a swimming pool or, a, you know, just sort of swimming, yeah. but there's something underneath yeah, there's something there. But <laughs> and basically, the goal is to develop enough of a mature understanding of it, enough of a hands-off attitude, so you aren't, so you outgrow the resistance, outgrow the tendency to resolve it as this or that, and let it be what it is, and then you can find what it is. 
but it won't be a simple what. It won't be a, oh yeah, it's this or that. It's, it's, it's what it is. It's specifically and exactly what it is, but what that is has some astounding characteristics which cannot be verbalized, which cannot be conceptualized, which in terms of human logic are absolute gibberish. And yet, this is what it is. So there is a sense at some point when you, that's what you say, this is what it is? Or, yeah, you, you you, that, this is findable. You can find what this is, but it's not what you expect, and it's not anything that can be said, and it's not anything that makes any sense whatsoever in terms of any human logical system. Um, for if, if those of you that are new, noticing is a euphemism for this process of looking at what is happening here, noticing what's happening, noticing what this is, noticing what the event is. And any point of ingress, anything whatsoever in your experience can be a starting off point for noticing. You can look at anything. You can look at how you're seeing. You can look for a particular idea that you have, look for you know, calmness, you know, look at a consciousness, look for intelligence, look at what a light is, look at the sun, look at a blade of grass, listen to a sound. doesn't matter where you, what your starting point is. If you are noticing what it is, you will very rapidly transcend your expectations and move into this being with your experience very directly, and it will start to show you what it is. But again, what you find will be confusing at first, perhaps, because it does not conform to anything that is logical, anything that is simple, anything that is graspable or, or definable or specifiable in terms of ideas or words. <clears throat> but it's not its fault. It's our... It's human logic that's in error, not it. <laughs> it's the simplicity of our, of, our, of our human conceptual systems and our human semantic systems that are at fault, not reality. Here's a good jumping off point for noticing. Presence. Presence. Your experience is obviously present. It's clearly and obviously present. What is it? What is presence? How is it present? What, what is this presence? It's, it's completely obvious. This presence is is nakedly obvious, and yet what exactly is it? I think that clarity is something that is very easy to misunderstand. I think, I think it's easy to have an erroneous idea that a mental clarity that we can somehow contrive, that we can somehow find or create or maintain um, is an advantage in spirituality and correspondingly when we lose this mental clarity or we find ourselves lapsing into some kind of unclarity or confusion that this is a problem. In actual fact, this is a misunderstanding. The, the, the actual clarity, the spiritually powerful clarity 
is the inherent clarity which cannot be strengthened, it cannot be increased, it cannot be lost. Um, it is the clarity of your very experience. The way that you self-evidently are aware that you are experiencing right now. Now what you're experiencing may be that you have a fever and you're drunk and you're dizzy and you just took acid and it's coming on and you're just whoo! But all of that unclarity and confusion is occurring in a basic space of clarity or you would not know it was happening. The fact that you know it's happening means it is occurring in clarity, in unobscured awareness that is primal, that is, in, that is inherent, that does not increase, it does not decrease, it cannot be started, it cannot be stopped. It is, it is the, the basic fundamental awareness whereby you know that you are, you know that the present moment exists. And then what happens to be existing in the present moment can be anything, right? Of course, we, you know, it can be sleep, it can be awake, it can be joy, it can be horror, it can be extreme pain, it can be total confusion and disorientation. But all of these conditions occur within perfect clarity. Or you wouldn't know they were happening. You would not have the experience. So this is not an abstract thing. It's a, it's a supremely concrete thing. Right now, your experience is appearing clearly. And even if you're confused, that confusion is appearing in clarity, a background clarity, the clarity of, called the clarity of the being of the present moment. Now, this clarity is, is very important. It's profoundly important. It's profoundly powerful. It is the clarity um, whereby realization occurs. It is the clarity that is the basic clarity, the basic awareness of reality itself. Um, in Tibetan Buddhism, they call this clarity rigpa, which is a term that has an enormous amount of mysticism and secrecy and excitement around it in Dzogchen and various other traditions. But it's really a very simple thing that everyone has complete awareness of 24-7. It's just this simple clarity, this simple clear space that everything appears in. That's all. And what appears can be anything. It's not about what appears. It's not about what this looks like. It's not about how you would characterize your experience of, oh, I'm clear, oh, I'm happy, oh, I'm sad, oh, I'm confused, oh, I'm really just sharp on the beam. It's not about that. It's about that anything's appearing at all. That's where the action is. That's where the power is. That's where reality lies. <clears throat> the very essence, the very nature of spirituality is what this is, what you are. Not about improving it, not about um, adjusting it, not about finding techniques to, you know, to deal with your problems and all that. All, all that's fine. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But that's not really what actual spirituality is. True spirituality is what this is, that this is, and that you are this. You are what this is. You are not a separate being. You are not a, a, uh, you know, a, a, a small primate running around in, a, in an infinite universe. 
you are what this is, and what this is is astounding, is unimaginable, and yet is nakedly revealed right here. It's not secret. You know, although astoundingly, even though it's omnipresent, people don't seem to notice it. <laughs> we're, because we're an excitable lot. <laughs> we get caught up, in, caught up in the sound and fury. <clears throat> so, the point is, This appears, this is appearing right now, this is appearing, isn't it? And it's still appearing. And it's still appearing. And it's always appearing, right? It's never looked exactly the way it looks right now before. It's never sounded exactly the way it sounds right now before. It's never felt exactly the way it feels right now before. And now it's already gone in something else. And it will never be this exactly like this again. And yet what it is, is always exactly the same. What it is, this miraculously appearing, spontaneously occurring, inherent clarity that you can't get rid of, you can't stop it, there's no off switch. This clarity of beingness, this clarity of that this is. Whatever it looks like, it is. And this is in clarity. It is as radiance. It's always radiance appearing in clarity. Now, radiance may look like a bunch of people sitting around an old building in Berkeley. Radiance may look like, you know, hearing a, uh, an old soundtrack to a garbled PA system. Radiance may look like deep sleep. Radiance may look like being at work and being pissed off at your boss. Radiance can look like anything, but what is appearing is made of a spontaneously occurring radiance, very mysterious. Why does what you're seeing look exactly like it does at this moment? Why does this air pot look exactly like it does? What force is putting it there? What force is making it be exactly what it is? What force is making my hand be exactly what it is? What force is making my hand look different than the air pot? What force is making you see them? It's effortless. You don't need to like, you don't need to, oh, let me, let me try and see the hand, let me try. They're just right here. You can't stop it. It's just effortless. This effortless apparition, this effortless apparition of all this field of vast, infinitely differentiated radiance appearing in this effortless, miraculous, weird, inconceivable field of sentient clarity. You know, it's always the case, it's always true. And it can look like anything. And it may seem simple. You know, it certainly seems very obvious once you notice it. But this is actually what all the fuss is about. This is actually what all these books have been written about. This is actually what all of these teachings have been about. All these secret teachings and, you know, um, you know lifetime long spiritual paths and all this and that are really about just this miraculous presence right here. Not as an abstract thing, not like in capital letters, the presence, you know. Just this is here, self-evidently. And But the point is, it's not a little thing. It's not slight. It's not boring. It's not graspable. It is literally miraculous. 
dis that disappears, it, you know, and this is hard to deal with because it's normal. Well, of course this is, you know, sure it is. It was this morning, it's going to be tonight, it's going to be when I go to bed, it's going to be on my deathbed, it's going to be this is. Yeah, of course, duh. You know, it's like how boring. But it's not boring. If you really look closely at what this is, how is this appearing? Where is this clarity happening? Where is it? I mean, it's here, but what does that mean? Where is it? How does it work? What's doing it? How does this never-ending display of weird, inconceivable, radiant patterns keep showing up in it? You know, how does this happen? How does all of this baroque and insane interpretations that show up in our mentality spontaneously happen? Where does it come from? What's doing it? What force is putting that there? What force is putting our emotional reactivity and our emotional getting all caught up in all the stories and narrations and our interpretations of what we think this patterning is, you know? Oh, so-and-so said this to me. God, the bitch, you know? How could she do that? I hate her. You know? It, it, all of this happens effortlessly, spontaneously. You know, we don't try to do this. We don't need to go out of our way to make this happen. It's just like, bang, it's called life. You know, it, it, just, it just, here it is. You know, you wake up and there it is. But, but, it, but it's not a little thing. The, and there it is, it's not a diminishment. It's not minimizing it. Here it is. You know, this is profound. This is mind-boggling. This is inconceivable. Just this, just this simple presence here, this miraculous presence. Um, can you notice it? Can you notice that this is actually here and it's inconceivable. I mean, how can this be here? How can being be here? What's doing it? <clears throat> but simply feeling this, simply being with this, noticing how astounding this is, and just, just sitting with it nakedly, not with letting go of your ordinary ideas about what this is, sitting with this presence nakedly, it will show you, it will reveal to you what it is, very directly, non-conceptually, in completely non-linear, completely astounding, profound revelations of what this is, what you are, what's going on here. This is knowable. This is realizable. This is not some you know, abstract thing that we need to leave to physicists so we can go about our business and make money and get popular. This is about, this is, this is totally available. It's right here, right now, and we can be with it, we can look at it, and it will show us what it is. It will teach us what it is if we just let it, if we're just with it in, in an openness and an appreciation of how astounding it is. You know, typically we don't. Typically we minimize it. We're like, oh, of course it is. You know, what's going on? What's on TV today? You know, what, what do I have to do today? What's on my shopping list? You know, and we completely gloss over the miracle and go right into the soap opera. <clears throat> but we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater because it turns out that where the action is, where the juice is, where the real reward is, is actually in the in the just the fundamental fact just this threshold of life that we have to cross to go into any event 
right? Just as being right here. We have to cross this to go into our soap opera, to go into our, you know, our excitement and the things we love and the things we hate and the things we hope for. We have to cross this simple, present, obvious being, and we devalue it. We don't appreciate it. But just, just instead of crossing it, just sometimes if you feel like it, just sort of just sit with this present and. This is interesting. This is interesting. What is it? You won't get an answer, but nonetheless it will show you. It will deepen. It will profoundly communicate itself to you. And it, it, in, this, in so doing, it communicates yourself to you. It communicates the absolute to you. It communicates infinity to you. It actually communicates divinity to you. Because it is all these things. All of those things refer to nothing other than this simple presence right here. Well, there's a nice fact about true spirituality, and that is that there's only one thing you need to know. There's only one fact you need to understand, you need to assimilate, you need to come to grips with. <coughs> and this fact is that this is not what you think it is. That's the important fact. No, no aspect of it is what you think it is, what you have ever thought it is. The world is not what you think it is. You are not what you think you are. Sight is not what you think it is. Thought is not what you think it is. People, other people are not what you think they are. The way this works is not what you think it is. Space is not what you think it is. Time is not what you think it is. So this, it's a very simple, I mean, when you start enumerating it like that, it begins to sound complicated, but it's much, much, much simpler than that. What this is, is other than and completely beyond what you think it is. Any way you can hold it to be, no matter how elaborate and sophisticated, will not suffice in being able to capture what this actually is. <coughs> Now, this fact turns out to be extremely powerful because it also defines the nature of spiritual practice. So, the entire theory and practice of spirituality is to get the idea that nothing is what you think it is and then simply sit with your experience in that context. Be with this without holding it to be anything in particular. And this is true meditation, this is true inquiry. And being with this, without holding it to be anything in particular, this will show you what it is. Gradually it will reveal itself. You will come to see what this is, you will come to see what you are, all very organically, inherently, and intrinsically, just by the very nature of your experience. In other words, your experience will show you what it is. And of course, the cardinal fact being, it's not what you have ever th always thought it to be. It's not what you can possibly think it to be. So simply, simply, you know, hearing that fact, um, analyzing it, coming to grips with it, coming to understand the truth of it, and then assimilating this fact um, within your experience, to be with your experience in, in, in unknowing, to be with your experience in openness, in mystery, in, well, you know, here this is and I don't know what it is. 
That alone is sufficient. Just remain in that um, stance, so to speak, with regard to your experience and be open with it, be unknowing with it, and over time, gradually, organically, very directly, it will show you what it is. It will reveal itself to you. It will communicate its nuance to you. <clears throat> and even though what this is turns out to be inconceivable, you are capable of assimilating and understanding this because you also are inconceivable. What you are is vastly beyond what you may think yourself to be. What this is is vastly beyond what you may think it to be. And so you have inherently the ability, the, the hyper-intelligence to approach and understand what this is very directly because you are much more than you think yourself to be. You can meet this where it is because you are it. You are this mystery. You are this astoundingness that this here, your, this, this present experience actually consists of. And so again, the, the key to it all is simply realizing that you don't really know what it is and letting go of this habit we have of holding it to be a certain way, holding ourselves to be a certain way, having a sense that our definitions of things are more or less true or more or less accurate or even accurate at all. <clears throat> In actual fact, our ideas are all completely wrong, entirely wrong. We don't know what anything is. We, we can't even scratch the surface on what anything is. And when we get this through our thick heads, when we get this through our sloppy karma, then we can be capable of sitting with this in openness, in mystery, in surprise, in spontaneity. And in that condition, in that condition alone, this will show you what it is. It will, it will teach itself to you. It will, reveal, it will reveal itself to you. It will display its nuance, which it always has been doing. But we are blocked from noticing that by our ideas that we think we already know what it is. <clears throat> so this is actually a very, this is great news. This is good luck. There's only one thing you need to know. All the spirituality, all of this, you know, philosophies and and, and uh, 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 schools and religions and there's just one fact you need to know and, and that fact is not just not just the, the explanation of your state of affairs but it is also the, the secret to spiritual practice. Spiritual practice is simply resting in that fact. Simply resting in not knowing. Simply resting in not holding your experience to be anything in particular and that alone is sufficient. <clears throat> There's only one genuine spiritual problem, and that is the inability to distinguish between imagination and reality. <clears throat> Typically, we think things are real. We think conditions exist in a certain way that we hold them to be, when in actual fact, these ways that we hold them to be are purely imaginary. 
and so we become confused. We think, no, this is this. This, this is how things are supposed to be. This is what things are. And we're wrong. Because reality, it happens, cannot be said. It cannot be described. It cannot be defined. So, a simple indicator is, <clears throat> anytime you think you know what any condition or thing or entity is, to any degree whatsoever, that is imagination. That is imaginary. That is not real. <clears throat> now it becomes very subtle and paradoxical because of course imagination is real. So imagination isn't imaginary. <clears throat> no, 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 we're leaving the music on. It's part, the disorientation is part of the presentation. Well, the disorientation is part of the, of the presentation. It'll force you to focus and follow my words with intent. Or fail miserably and space out, and that's cool too. <clears throat> imagination is real. But it's not imagination, it's not imaginary. Imagination is something we think we know what it is. Imagination is X, Y, Z. Imagination is define imagination. It is, you know, some sentence, some definition of what imagination is. It isn't. Imagination exists in the same sense that thought exists, in the same sense that vision exists. But vision isn't vision. No one knows what vision is. Thought isn't thought. No one knows what thought is. Imagination isn't imagination. No one knows what imagination is. It's a mysterious property of reality that it has this strange mode we might call functionality of generating versions of things. <clears throat> and as I said, our, the sole spiritual problem boils down to inability to distinguish between what's imaginary and what is actual. Nothing exists that is not actual. Nothing exists that is not real. Reality alone exists. Everything that exists is real. <clears throat> right? This is real. What is it? Does anyone know what this is? It's a table. Okay, it's a table. What's a table? Okay, so right away you're in imagination because you're positing the existence of ground, you're positing the existence of legs, you're positing the existence of above, a spatial relationship, which implies that there is space and probably implies that it exists in time as well. And all of these are, are imaginary fabrications. It's not that they don't exist, but they are not what we hold them to be. <clears throat> the same with you. You may think you're a person. What is a person? Well, you know, whatever you come up with as an answer to that question is imaginary. A person is infinite, fathomless, bottomless mystery. Just like what this is, is infinite, fathomless, bottomless mystery. That's all we got. That's all that actually exists. That's all that is findable. And anytime we think we're finding something more 
specific and more explicit than that, we are imagining it. We are creating the notion in our mind. We are creating an oversimplified version of what we're holding it to be, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with imagining. Imagination is great fun. The only problem becomes when we hold that the way we're imagining things to be, they actually are. If I thought this actually was a table, then I'd just have a world of pain open to me. It's like, oh my God, it's a table. What do I do about that? Here I am in this world with this table. What do I do with it? Where do I put it? You know, you know what's it cost? I mean, all of these implications, all of a sudden they're there. Whereas when it's bottomless, fathomless, infinite mystery, what do I have to do anything with it? Hmm? There's no visual limitation whatsoever. It's a concept. Your vision is not limited. You are seeing infinity right now. Can you find any edges to this? I mean, how big is it? How small is it? You know, how, how many different ways is this perceivable? You know, can you get to the bottom of what it is through perceived perception? You can't. You cannot. And yet, if we, if you make that jump to, oh yeah, it's a table. I know what it is, and check it off. And okay, now I know everything I want to know about it. Move on to the next thing. You are, you have shut the door on the reality of infinite presence, which is what this actually is, not, is, not intellectually, not as a notion, that's what this actually is. That's what you actually are. That's what your experience actually is. You can't find anything else whatsoever. It cannot be found. And when you think you are finding anything else, you're conjuring it into existence in your imagination, and it does not actually exist. <clears throat> What's happening right here, right now, is what it's all about, is what the, all the fuss is about. All, in all religions, all gods, all symbols of divine qualities, all refer to nothing other than this event that's happening right here, right now. So you can become an, a scholar, become expert at the iconography of the various Hindu gods or the Tibetan gods and every symbol that's depicted on every god and every portion of their myth all refers to particular qualities of divinity. And every single one of those qualities can be found nowhere other than right here, right now. <clears throat> the same thing applies to um, all the great and of course even the not so great human philosophies, spiritual philosophies, scientific philosophies. All are concerned with this event right here, this fact right here. <clears throat> now the typical pattern for most people who are interested in spirituality is to delve into these various systems, to delve into these religions and these philosophies and these practices that have all sorts of elaborations and terminologies and they may have um, you know, elaborate symbolisms you have to learn, elaborate behaviors you have to learn, all of which refer to nothing other than this event right here. So in effect, approaching this in that way consists of departing from this into all these elaborate systems of symbolism as a supposed strategy to approach this which has been right here all along and which is where you started from. 
my suggestion is, why not just be with this? If this is what all the fuss is about, if this is the finish line of spirituality, if this is reality itself, why not simply be with this and let it show you what it is? <clears throat> <clears throat> a major challenge to this is the extent to which we are all so thoroughly steeped in human semantic systems and human logic and the logic that is implicit in our language and so we approach this with this powerful set of preconceptions of, oh, it must be a thing or include things because there's nouns. It must be an action or include action because there's verbs. It must have qualities because there's adverbs and adjectives and the nouns that are qualitative and all of this. So we have, we have a powerful set of preconceptions, a powerful bias of what we expect to find here when we investigate it, what we expect to see. <coughs> and in terms of the difficulty of our task, um, the unfortunate fact is that what is to be found here in no way corresponds even in the slightest degree to anything whatsoever that is implied by human semantic systems, by the structure of our language, by human logic. <clears throat> so um, this can be a big challenge. We need to free ourselves or somehow set aside our accumulated bias and our 40, 50, 30, 60, however many years of, of um, indoctrination in human logic in order to be able to approach this as it is. We have a big advantage. We have an, an asset. We have a point of entry, which is that what we are is what this is. So we already have very direct experience at a level which is much more primal than these abstract levels implied by human logic and human semantic systems. <clears throat> we are, we are, and that is an irrational, self-evident fact that in no way corresponds to logic that in no way corresponds to semantic structure <laughs> that is exactly as it is. So we already have our foot in the door. We already have a point of contact with this that we are investigating, <clears throat> which is a wonderful advantage if we have the good fortune or luck to be able to take advantage of it, to be able to notice the profound power of this fact that you already are, you exist, and this existence, this very being, is not logical, it is not explainable, it is not justifiable. It is a simple, naked, undeniable, self-evident fact. And this is a powerful fact. <clears throat> Wow.
wow. <laughs> so this simple being, this simple state of affairs that actually obtains right here, right now, that is completely in full effect, <clears throat> that you are completely already a participant in, you already are in the same way that this is. So that is the powerful point in spirituality. That is the powerful asset that we have to work with, that we are, this is. And simply being with that, being with this self-evident, nakedly revealed fact, <clears throat> it reveals spontaneously what it is because it is its nature to unfold itself. It is its nature to spin off implications. It is its nature to deepen. Aspects of what it consists of are a profound knowingness, a profound intelligence, a profound, um, uh, let's call it uh, uh, impulse to connect with itself. So it's, it wants what you want. If you want to get to know this, it wants to get to know itself too. So you are working with, you're going with the stream, you're working with the inherent tendency that is already present in the very being of this present moment. What we call the passage of time or the unfoldment of time is nothing other than this exploring itself. So us exploring ourselves and exploring this is simply merging with that already occurring action, that already occurring stream of event, <clears throat> and not holding ourselves apart from it in our imagination, not holding ourselves as individual, as personal, as separate, as having our own agenda. When our agenda becomes its agenda, then its power, its authority, what's doing all this, becomes our authority, becomes our energizer, becomes our, um, our, uh, uh, the source of our action. So this, be, this is a very powerful position to be in. And I recommend it. <laughs> in actual fact, this right here, is the presence of absolute, unlimited, infinite divinity. That sounds pretty grand. <clears throat> and it is. It's, it's grander than those words make it sound. The remarkable thing is, if that is the case, which it happens to be, how is it that we can turn this experience into a boring, mundane existence full of pettiness and um, boredom and suffering and small goals and mediocre achievements and indeterminacy. <clears throat> and more to the point, how do we go about 
discovering what this actually is. <clears throat> it happens to be that. It happens to be inconceivable radiance. You know, I mean, it's, it's absolutely, it's, it's literally beyond words what this is. It's the astoundingness. And not in some lofty, metaphysical, philosophical sense, but literally and actually. This actual presence of your very experience right now is the presence of inconceivable infinity. I mean, you know, what, what does that mean? Well, that's the point. You, we can't, we can't say what it means. We can't grasp what it means. But it is absolute astoundingness what this is. And the fact is, we can become aware of what this is. We can learn to see what this is as it is. We can learn to appreciate what this is. <clears throat> And, needless to say, the quality of experience is drastically transformed as a result of this discovery, as a result of beginning, even beginning to notice what this is. Um, <clears throat> the quality of our experience, the quality of our... <clears throat> of our fulfillment, of our entertainment, of our elucidation, of our, um, well, you know, any positive quality you can, you can imagine is off the charts in terms of noticing what this actually is. Now that the, the uh, the beginning, the first step of noticing what this is, is letting go of what you think it is. Because the biggest cork in the bottle, the biggest logjam that keeps us from starting to investigate what this is, is we think we already know. We think we already know what this is. This is the world, it's Berkeley, and it's, you know, the, you know this, this pathetic human culture we live in, and our, and our absurd geopolitical situation, and humanity on the brink of self-destruction, and people wandering around chasing these, these petty egotistic goals, and, and money, and all this stuff. You know, we think that's what it is. You know, we sort of think we know that. Or, you know, we may, many of us do. <clears throat> And since we think we know, in whatever sense we do, even if it doesn't obviously conform to that particular narrative, since we think we know what it is, we stop there. We aren't looking anymore. We aren't curious. We won't even entertain the possibility. And if someone says it might be different, we think, oh, that's really interesting. Wouldn't that be nice? Or they're a crackpot or, or you know, whatever. It's it's well that's a that's a fascinating idea but but it's not but it's not real because what's real is you know what I already know I know what the world is and we tend to have this deep seated unconscious you know unquestioned take on things take on what we are who we are what this is what this is about what's possible what's impossible and. This largely unconscious worldview that we tend to hold, you know, through no fault of our own, it's just uh, it's accreted over the the accidents of our life and the, the crazy indoctrinations we've been exposed to culturally and so on and so forth. It prevents us from looking further. Prevents us from 
from actually questioning, from looking at this with fresh eyes, because we're jaded. We already know what it is. And the idea, and, and it's so easy to split off into fantasy of, oh, wouldn't it be nice, you know? And the lion's share of, of modern spirituality consists of exactly that. It's this wonderful fantasy of, oh, wouldn't it be nice if this was, you know, heaven realm, and if these were angels, you know, then we could contact them and channel them and, you know, all of this. That's a, that's a lovely fantasy, you know? It's, it's lovely. Who wouldn't, who wouldn't be, you know, who wouldn't whose heart wouldn't it warm to entertain a notion like that. But unfortunately, it is a fantasy. And equally unfortunately, the people who entertain those fantasies basically know it's a fantasy and don't take it very seriously. And it becomes just a lifestyle accoutrement of decorating your house with angels instead of decorating your house with, you know, modern art or whatever. But the fact remains that there's something very, very, very mysterious going on here. Consciousness is some weird shit. It is very slippery, very strange, very bizarre. And there's a sort of modern common sense view that, it, well, consciousness is kind of a, you know, it's a... It's an accidental spin-off of biochemistry, you know, these, you get these really complicated chemical reactions in your brain and they have these electrical components and it spins off and somehow like consciousness is sort of somewhere in the sauce, you know, really, is that so? <laughs> so consciousness is a byproduct of the machine, you know, and the machine is just accidentally happens to exist, you know, these, these complex chemicals accidentally happened to come together in the ocean a few billion years ago and they happened to accidentally combine in, in this way and that way and it sort of cascades along and here we have this inconceivably intricate device, this machinery, right? And it just sort of, you know, it just sort of happens, you know. <laughs> there's no in, in, intelligence involved in that. There's no, like, there's no principle of organization involved in that. It's just sort of, well, you know, it just sort of happened. And then, and then these chemicals happen to get together in your brain and there happens to be this, oh, wow, you know, this little, little spark and all of a sudden there's consciousness. Interesting. You know? And <clears throat> so just to begin to notice how mysterious what is actually going on here is, is the beginning of investigating it is the beginning of entertaining the possibility that this is vastly beyond what we've been told it is, vastly beyond what people are in general are saying it is. <clears throat> and we discover some interesting self-evident facts which is, one of which is, for example, that the world only exists when you're looking at it. You know, that's really interesting. Oh, it's just, you know, it's just, well, of course, it's there, but it's, you know, it's kind of like the refrigerator light bulb, you know. <laughs> it, it, it comes on when the door's open, but, <laughs> but you don't know unless the door's open, so you can't know if it's good. <laughs> Uh, but 
you know, we have this phenomena of dreams at night. And when we go to sleep at night, we dream, and we seem to be in a world. We seem to be there. And the world is, you know, all around us, to whatever degree it is, and there can be relatively complex situations and phenomena apparently going on, other people, other things, really complex situations and motivations and all sorts of things that work their, work their way out or not. And it's, at the time, it's, it's very convincing. If you, if you have had lucid dreams, then you might be aware of how actual the dream experience can be. It's exactly as actual as this experience. It's exactly as convincing as the idea that you're sitting in this room in Berkeley, you know, listening to this talk. <clears throat> but then you wake up and phew, it's gone. In fact, you look back on it and it never was there. It was just a dream. <coughs> but this isn't like that. You know, this, this, this objectively exists notwithstanding the fact that you go to sleep and poof, this is gone. <laughs> Completely gone. You know, and you don't even remember it ever existed. <laughs> so, if we begin to look at what this experience actually consists of, it turns out to have some very interesting properties that are slippery and obviously very strange and yet completely explicit. These are not things that are that you have to talk yourself into or elusive in a sense that you have to imagine them. You know, try and look look at time, for example. Time is a very interesting thing. Okay, where's the past? You know? It's gone. You know. The the words I was saying at the beginning of this sentence I'm saying right now do not exist. They completely do not exist. You can't touch them. You can't find them. They're absolutely gone. Where is the future? Where is the sentence that I'm about to say? It completely does not exist. It's, it's not like it's sort of waiting in the wings, sort of ghostly, and it's slowly getting more and more material as it inches towards the present moment. So there's no past and no future. Well, that's very interesting. You know, most of us maybe sort of wander around with sort of some idea of a, a sort of a smeared out timescape, like a map of sort of what I did yesterday, what I did the day before, what I'm going to do tomorrow, and it's all sort of, you know, sketched in more or less roughly, and the present moment is just kind of in there somewhere. But if you look at what's actually going on, the present moment is here. It's now. There is no past there is no future. Well, that's kind of interesting. Okay. Now, everything that exists exists in the present moment. And everything that exists exists in your consciousness. And another really interesting fact, if you look carefully, you can notice, you can readily discover that your consciousness is the only consciousness that exists as far as you know. You're the sole inhabitant of your universe. There's these other people apparently out there who are talking and acting as if they had consciousness, just like there are you know, patterns of light in the movie that are talking and acting as if they have consciousness. There are apparitions that show up in a dream that are acting and talking as if they had consciousness. You wake up in the morning, how many people were there when you were dreaming? You. you know, although in the dream it doesn't seem like it. You might be really involved with somebody or a group of people or some complex situation, right? 
but you wake up and poof, it's all me. And here you are. Who else is here, as far as you know? Who else is here? You're the sole observer of all of this, right, as far as you can tell. Now, other people may exist, may not exist, but that's just an idea that can happen in your consciousness. But you have absolutely no access to that. It's completely hypothetical, just like the existence of the past. The past may exist. The past may have actually happened. You know? I mean, think of a dream. In the dream, the, there seems to be the present moment, and there seems to be a past. So you, so you sort of feel like what has happened, sort of the, the backstory, you know, the back plot of what got you to where you seem to be at that moment in the dream. And, of course, nothing ever happened, because there's nothing happening in a dream even though it seems as if something has been happening, right? But the operative word there, of course, is seems, because, you know, not in a dream, not only is there no past, there's no present. <laughs> and yet if you take these things simplistically, if you just take them at face value, when you're dreaming, it's just like, oh, yeah, all this stuff is happening, and this whole story happens, and then it happens, and then you wake up, and then all this stuff is happening, and this whole story happens, and it has continuity, and it goes along, and there's a past, a present, and a future, and, you know, continuity, and all of this. But then you look a little more closely at what actually is going on here. You know, is that really so? You know, can you really verify that experientially, experimentally? Can you really find the evidence to irrefutably support these notions? And, you know, what evidence can you find irrefutably? You can find the existence of what you call your consciousness. You can't find what it is. You can't find it. You go looking for it and it's like, woo, it's a snipe hunt all of a sudden. Where did it go? You can't find it, and yet it's completely self-evident and completely explicit and completely obvious. Your consciousness is a fact, right? But try and find that fact. Try and pin that fact down. Try and see exactly what that fact consists of explicitly. And it's like trying to find a ghost. You know, and the, and the, uh, the very interesting thing is, okay, try and find what the outside world is, and the same thing happens. The outside world is a very ghostly, strange phenomena. Even, you know, this is not esoteric metaphysics. Modern scientists are finding the same thing. You go looking at what matter is, and it turns out to be these clouds of probabilities. You know, it's like, what the fuck is a cloud of probability? You know, what are these things? Where are these things? Are they even things? You know, and scientists are scratching their heads saying, well, you know, we can't really say. And that's what this really is. I mean, that's what you find when you look really close. This is not a leap of abstraction or a leap of intellection. This is the actual nuts and bolts of what is present. And we see this in our own, without having to get into a bunch of electron microscopes and radio telescopes and stuff and, and atom smashers, we see this directly in our own experience. You know, try and pin down exactly what anything is. What exactly does anything look like? You know, what does this cup look like? 
Does it look like this? 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 Does you know if I'm three miles away from it, does it look like this? You know, there's no fixed version of this cup. This cup is an experience. It's a ra- It's an infinite range of experiences, and in the instant, in any given instant, if I took a snapshot of it, it's one particular experience. But when I look very, very closely at that snapshot, it's fuzzy. So I can't even pin it, like, exactly where are the edges of this cup? Well, when I begin to look very closely, the edges are fuzzy. Where does the cup end and the atmosphere begin? You know? It literally is not sharp. Like when kids are doing a drawing, you know, they'll draw a sharp outline around things. You know, this is a house, and they'll draw an outline of a house and color it in. The real world isn't like that. There's no outlines. There's just these sort of, fields of variability that you can't really quite pin down, you know? What color is anything? What color is my face? You know? You look at it, and, well, it's, it's a million colors. It's a billion colors. And in the next instant, it's, 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 it's morphed and it's something else, you know? You can't, what color, you know, what do I look like? What do you look like? You ever had this experience, you look in the mirror and it's like, what do I look like? And, you know, you, you have a million different takes on what you look like and you can never pin it down, you know? I mean, this is the basis of our insecurity one of the bases of our insecurities. You know, we can't pin anything down and we think we have this sort of a, we've been indoctrinated into a sort of a basic mind frame that we're supposed to, we're supposed to know who we are. We're supposed to know what things are. We're supposed to have a bead on things. We're supposed to have it be able to sort of tie things down and sharpen them up and know what things are. Otherwise, we're kind of losing it. You know, we're a little iffy. We're a little marginal. We're not really competitive. We can't really hold up our end of things. So we, you know, like, I've got it together. I know what's going on. But we all know we're faking it because we all know we kind of, we're kind of struggling. I mean, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe someone here has got it down. But in, in my experience, things are very fuzzy, very, very fuzzy. So when I look in the outer world, I find basically a highly detailed fuzziness that I can't really lock down. When I look inside a consciousness, woo, you know, <laughs> you don't find anything. And yet it's not nothing. It's, it's totally obvious that there is consciousness, but you can't find it, you know? It, it's the damnedest thing. So, you, so no matter where you look, you're sort of in this indeterminacy. You know? And there's no past and there's no future. The present can't really be found. I mean, how long does the present last? Look really closely at your experience of time. Well, the, the present is already, the present circumstances are already fading and they're already turning into the past as they occur, so they stopped existing. And the future circumstances come into existence, but as soon as they come into existence, they stop existing because they're turning into the past. You know, so the present lasts, what, a second? You know, a nanosecond? No time at all? So that's very interesting. So the, the present moment has zero duration. So all this is here, basically never, because it doesn't stick around. It's already gone. <clears throat> Another way of saying that is, if you take a picture, suppose you had a, a, an imaginary camera that was incredibly precise. It could just get the sharpest snapshot, ultimately snarp, sharp snapshot, and you took a picture of something. When you look closely at that picture, very closely, everything's going to be blurry because everything's moving. Nothing is staying still. So you take a faster 
photo. You up your camera speed by double. What do you find? Everything's blurry. Isn't that interesting? Okay, you take a faster photo. You up it by a thousand times. What do you find? Everything's blurry. Nothing is actually anywhere. Everything is going somewhere. <laughs> so all of these are just points of inquiry, points of investigation to look into what is actually going on here. And the most immediate and the most powerful result of any serious inquiry is the discovery that, well, I'm not sure, but it sure as hell isn't what I've been told. It sure as hell isn't what the sort of the zeitgeist, the sort of the man on the street, common sense view of humans in the world is. So, and that's pretty provocative. That leaves us where? So, wow, if everyone is clueless, that's a pretty interesting chunk of information. So it kind of, you know, if you're, if you're a, a serious person, if you're a motivated person, if you're a thinking person, you might, that might lead you to go, wow, some, you know, let me look into this a little more. Or you might just go, oh, fuck it, you know, go on about your life. Can't be bothered. <laughs> What's for dinner? <laughs> Tonight I'd like to start talking about um, um, <clears throat> very subtle ways of, of falling off of noticing. <clears throat> and then... In the, uh, in the early phases, so to speak, it's really easy, it's really obvious the noticing kicks in because it's, whoa, you know. Um, and the challenge is just to have anything happening at all on that front at all. But when you get a little, a little, a little more experienced and a little more comfortable with noticing, the challenges become more subtle. Um, and I'm using this word noticing euphemistically the way I always do to refer to something which can't be defined but if you don't know what it is by now <laughs> um, anyway um, probably the, the most easy and, and easy way to fall off it that that presents itself is taking this as anything at all. Um, and it's very interesting, the actual condition of this, because the actual condition of this presents as myriad qualities. And yet, none of these qualities actually exist as such if you be with them profoundly, if you with what they actually are. <clears throat> it's very easy to see a quality that seems self-evident, like you know, clarity or radiance or you know, anything, any any quality whatsoever, <clears throat> even being, beingness. You know, they seem very self-evident on the surface that they exist, but they actually don't. No, none of these qualities actually exists, which is a very strange state of affairs. Um, 
but it's easy to not notice that because it's a, it's a very subtle fact that this is the case that this even though it generates all qualities and appears as all qualities it does not consist of any of them none of these qualities actually exist even though they apparently exist in the context of this so this is that you know that whereby qualities seem to exist but none of these qualities actually exist nothing whatsoever can actually be found you know and I mean that in the strongest possible sense which is you know it's a very strange state of affairs it's easy to have to hold subtly or maybe less subtly but it's easy it's easy to hold it subtly that well yeah but there is something you know there's something there's there's something to be found there's something there there's something that is a certain way and it, and it's easy to have that become a self-fulfilling prophecy because you can be with this be with qualities that are presented in a very profound way and feel like oh yeah this is it and 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 it's paradoxical because of course this is it any of the qualities that, pre- that present are this but they are not actually this they are a symptom of this they are a you know a spore of this and this can be a very fine point especially because <clears throat> the nature of the mind is to constantly be, you know, the thinking mind, is to constantly be seizing upon versions of things, you know, naming things, designating things, oh, this is this, oh, this is that, qualifying things, comparing things, and all of this. And um, so to be able to be with this, the actual this, and allow it to be absolutely open-ended, while simultaneously the mind, of course, will be doing its mind thing of designating and, and trying to fixate and trying to get to the bottom of things. You know, it, it, the mode that, that, that is developable is almost like a kind of a schizophrenia where you're, in one sense, the mind is in its mind mode, but that exists in the context of this non-mode of the actual of this. <clears throat> and of course the, and of course the mind mode most profoundly also can't be found the mind mode is actually of course this because all qualities that seem to present are actually this um, but again uh, it, it, this cannot be put clearly this cannot be described clearly but uh, it's the coexistence of the apparition of all qualities, all functionalities, in the context of their actual non-existence as such. Uh, and it's easy; it's very easy, of course, to get confused about that, to get confused on that issue because it's a, um, because it's very strange. Because these qualities do exist, and as in the sense that they do exist but they don't exist. <laughs> Essentially, yes, extrasensory perception, um, which may not be as, as mystical as it sounds. The simple fact that we have experience that's not readily characterizable as a, a particular sense field. We have all kinds of experience. We experience moods, we experience funny vibes, we experience, you know, just 
we don't really have words for, for these kinds of things because they aren't generally acknowledged as something that we talk about explicitly. But, you know, I mean, if any of you that have ever had um, strong drug experiences or had a high fever or done deep meditation or just experienced your noticed aspects of your experience that are outside of the normal sort of a human focus of your person and your life and your day-to-day business will notice there's a lot going on um, most of which is completely ignored as just sort of background noise um, and it can have all sorts of content it can have um, specifically what might be categorized as extrasensory phenomena psychic phenomena these kinds of things in it as well but what it is is fundamentally unknown but more to the point is that what our sensory experience is is fundamentally unknown it's not what you think it is what's going on here is not what you think it is it's not what you can think it is there's no way to get a handle on what's happening here what's happening here is surpassingly strange surpassingly peculiar and the fact that we hold it as a kind of a normalcy with, a, with, the, with the, the sort of the you know, consensus reality man on the street worldview um, is a gross oversimplification of what it actually consists of. And by doing so, by, by simplifying it, we cut ourselves off from appreciating what it is, from appreciating what we are, um, and from really participating in this uh, or, or uh, I should say more exactly from really noticing that we are participating in this on as profound a level as we are um, these, these sort of un- relatively unacknowledged areas of our experience are interesting not in themselves but to notice the way in which our experience is present and yet Undefined, unknown somehow, and in these these sort of outside the boundaries, so to speak, aspects of our experience, this is pretty obvious. You can go to these parts of your experience that are just sort of just weird little moods or vibes, or you know, we don't have we don't have words for what they are, so you can, it's hard to talk about. Um, and you notice right away, wow, there's something there, but it's not really connected to anything. You know, I can't really connect it with with my life, I can't connect it with the outside world, but it's not entirely disconnected either because it's present as experience. And so by noticing this is valuable because it gives us a clue, a a new perspective on how to look at our 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 so-called normal experience, our sensory experience and these sorts of things that we are used to, very used to noticing and being invested in from a new perspective <coughs> and to see that uh, to, you know to possibly be able to see that there's aspects of of all of our experience even our most familiar experience that are wholly unfamiliar that we typically just censor or don't ignore because we're so busy going to the gross obvious describable aspects of that rather than being with the subtleties and the nuances and the the vibes and the flavors and you know all sorts of things that are a little less explicit in terms of how we usually put things, what we usually talk about, what humans are usually concerned with.
Karma is a, a word that has all sorts of baggage and tradition and, and concepts and stories and interpretations associated with it, all of which is best forgotten and ignored. What it actually refers to is the degree to which experience seems to be patterned, seems to have a degree of patterning to it. And inclusive of that is the, the apparent um, implications of that patterning vis-a-vis possible cause and effect, possible existence of entities, possible, you know, um, all these sorts of notions that seem to be possible implications of this patterning that is apparent. Um, the interesting uh, aspect about this karma, uh, about this phenomena, um, from a spiritual point of view, is that we are typically... Um, hypersensitive to the apparent degree of patterning that seems to be present in our experience and we are largely insensitive to the degree and the nature and the qualities of lack of patterning which is present in our experience Um, and this is interesting from a spiritual point of view because it's the apparent patterning which creates the implication of bondage, stuckness, suffering you know, woe is me, all of that stuff. And on the contrary, it's the, it's the apparent lack of patterning which accounts for liberation, accounts for realization of no self, accounts for realization of no mind, accounts for all these other various mythologies. <coughs> so, in a, in a very simplistic sense, again from a spiritual point of view, um, to move from a sense of bondage to a sense of liberation from the karmic point of view simply means to become more sensitive to the, 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 the quantity and the qualities of the degree of unpatternedness which is present within experience. Um, now the patterning and the unpatternedness are very interesting because they conceptually they seem to be, you'd think they were opposites, but they aren't opposites. They coexist. Um, they interpenetrate each other. They are aspects of each other in a way which is um, not very rationally describable or addressable. Um, All spirituality whatsoever no matter what tradition or non-tradition it comes from, essentially consists of using form to discover essence. Now, exactly what is meant by form and exactly what is meant by essence is part of this path of discovery. You can't pin down exactly what it is about until you are well well engaged with it. Um, the major hitching point in virtually all spirituality consists of confusing form and essence. We think that a particular form is somehow spiritual or elevated or advantageous, i.e. somehow essential, and then we 
essentially stop using that form as a vehicle to essence and take the form as a destination. This is very commonplace with people to become experts in meditation or in yoga or in various other traditions, um, singing kirtan, all these kinds of things. Um, it's very commonplace to mistake these forms as ends in themselves rather than seeing them as they truly are, as jumping off points, as opportunities to discover and further explore essence. <clears throat> in, in true spirituality, form is like a diving board, and the point of the diving board is to use it to jump into the damn pool, not to hang out on the diving board or collect diving boards or become an expert in diving boards. The diving board is there for one purpose, to jump into the pool. So the diving board, it's all about departing from the diving board. The diving board, the very essence, the essential function of a diving board is to leave it, to leave it behind, to use it as a as a jumping off point, literally in this case, for entering the pool. And likewise, form, all forms in spiritual investigation are jumping off points, they're diving boards. They serve their purpose only when you depart from them. They are points of departure, they are not destinations. <clears throat> um, and it seems to be very easy to become confused about this, it seems to be very easy to um, be murky about this because so many of these forms seem to be such departures from normal life. You know, if you're if you're a banker or a businessman or a retailer or something, and you go, you know, join a meditation sect and you spend eight hours a day staring at a wall or something, you may feel like, oh wow, this has been a big departure. But it's misunderstanding the entire functional principle that these forms are launch pads. They are launch pads. It's about achieving escape velocity. It's not about hanging out on the launch pad as a destination. <clears throat> now form and essence themselves are very interesting. What is form? Well, anything is form. Form is experience. Form is the apparitions of experience, what appears as experience. <clears throat> so, uh, any aspect of one's experience can be um, a vehicle for exploration of essence, a vehicle as a jumping, to, to, as a starting point, uh, let's say, to jump off into an exploration of the essence that is um, included therein. The relationship between form and essence proves to be inconceivably subtle. And we don't really discover this until we're well on the way of uh, of this path of exploration, to because we can't really know what essence is until we're pretty thoroughly embedded in it. <clears throat> where we think we're going is not where we're actually going. <laughs> in that regard, it's probably a little bit like jumping off a cliff. <laughs> But the, the essential movement 
from form to essence is a movement into in finer subtlety, increased subtlety, moving from the coarse to the subtle, moving from the obvious to the refined. And um, essentially developing an appreciation for subtlety, an appreciation for the refined, um, to discover, to push the envelope of our own sensitivity to what subtlety is, to how subtle this can be, to how refined this can be, to how nuanced these aspects of our experience can be. We're all very familiar with the coarse aspects of experience, certainly, you know, our sensory experience in the world and our personalities and all these very obvious aspects. <clears throat> but to move from that, from whatever layer, degree of subtlety we're used to being with this obviousness to a more refined relationship, a more subtle relationship, a more nuanced relationship, a more implicit relationship. This is the true spiritual path. And it goes ultimately until essence and form are seen as an absolute essential unity. <clears throat> but this is not something that it's useful to try to contrive or even aspire to. Rather, wh whatever form you're working with, try to penetrate it, try to move into a, a degree of increased subtlety, a degree of increased nuance in terms of appreciating what it is, in terms of um, exploring how it presents itself. Because there is certainly an infinite degree of subtlety and nuance that is being presented within our experience. And noticing this and coming into relating to our experience in terms of that is the essence of true spirituality. <laughs> Thanks. This is not what you think it is. This is the essence of the spiritual conundrum, is that this is not what we think it is. <clears throat> it can't be what you think it is, no matter how sophisticated or elaborate or subtle your conception of it is, your worldview, because what this actually is, is a condition that cannot be thought, it cannot be modeled, it cannot be caught in conceptuality. <clears throat> and true spirituality comes uh, as simple, as simply the condition of coming to realize that this is the case, coming to see what this actually is. <clears throat> and it does not require any specialized activities, it doesn't require changing your name to a Hindu name or dressing in funny clothes or, or not dressing in funny clothes or any sorts of behaviors or skills or anything in particular, simply simply noticing what this actually is, noticing what this is as it is immediately present, as your experience. <clears throat> and you will notice that it, although it may s somewhat conform to what 
you're used to thinking it is, although the labels that you're used to giving to the conditions and situations that seem to present themselves are not wholly inaccurate, yet they fail to capture in its completeness what is actually present. And in this failure is absolute missing the mark. And we typically don't notice this. We typically think, well, yeah, I don't know exactly what's going on, but I'm kind of close. I've got a pretty good idea, and I know pretty much what's what and who's who. And even though I can't really, you know, explain it all with, with absolute authority and with absolute certainty, like a, you know, a PhD physicist and a Nobel Prize winning sociologist and economist might be able to, they know what's going on. I don't quite have that, but, you know, I, I kind of know what's going on. It's not like that. It's not like that. <clears throat> because the very nature of what this is is not knowable as a specific condition, as a specific state of affairs that can be delineated, that can be understood, that can be analyzed. <clears throat> and in point of fact, the more specifically we try to understand it, the farther we dig ourselves into a hole of fantasy and delusion. It's very much like in a dream. If you're dreaming last night and you, you, there's people talking and they're saying something and you're not quite sure who's talking and not quite sure what they're saying. So if you want to know what's really going on, trying to pin down who's actually talking and what they're actually saying is not going to take you closer to seeing that what's actually going on, which is that it's a dream. On the contrary, it's going to embed you further and further in unreality, the supposition that there's an actual objective circumstance going on, other than the dream, which is the actual condition. And we find ourselves in a very similar situation here. The very nature of what this is, is that it presents as if there's all sorts of apparent conditions and circumstances that seem to be more or less... Um, uh, uh, independently existing, more or less uh, causally interactive, all these sorts of things. <clears throat> but in actual fact, that's not the case at all. And so the more we pursue this, the more we try and analyze what exactly is present, how it is present, how it works, how it interacts, the, f the farther we are getting from what it actually is, and, the, and we're getting deeper and deeper into fantasy construction, into an imaginary view of things which bears no relationship to the actuality. <clears throat> and this simple state of affairs is the only thing that needs to be discovered for the spiritual conundrum to be addressed and solved. What this is, is knowable, it is discoverable but it does not conform to the categories of any of the sorts of things we're used to thinking exist as things, as conditions that are discoverable. But it is discoverable, it is knowable, because you intrinsically are this. So you have absolute intimate access to and presence in this. Um, so you can know it by its own means of knowing, which are wholly irrational and nonlinear and immediate and inconceivable and undescribable. <clears throat> so simply by being in your experience as it actually is, as 
the reality of your experience, um, it will reveal itself to you as what it is. Uh, if you can be with it without preconceptions, without presuppositions, expecting it to conform to whatever worldviews you have, whatever sort of uh, materialist philosophy or psychological ideas or concepts of different entities existing and all that, if you can suspend all of the way you're used to holding things <coughs> and just be with experience nakedly as if you did not know what it is whatsoever and just see what you find. As an absolutely unbiased observer, an absolutely unbiased researcher with no preconceptions. And typically this is very difficult for us to do because we aren't even aware that we have preconceptions. We just think it's just reality. It's just how things are, you know. I'm sure the world's the world, you know. People are people. This is Berkeley. You know, all these sorts of things that we don't question because we don't know that they're questionable. We just think they're objectively true. And so these certitudes that we hold prevent us from, see, or, or severely impede us from noticing what this actually is.